gloves are a weird thing in that I am completely fine with them and then will suddenly, if I'm even mildly stressed, need to rip them off to focus properly. You're going to be like me in the car. When you drive, you'll get these moments of, turn the music down, I can't see. Um, so, do we have anything to talk about that's uh, vaguely anything related? What, like related to Terry Pratchett in the podcast? Yeah. Uh, God, no. Okay. Nothing cool. whatsoever. No thoughts. Head empty. Good. Absolutely good. Well done. What's happening in life? Oh, I'm getting a car tomorrow. Yay. I'm excited for you. Little tiny thing. One litre engine. It's even smaller engine than my last one. So it should take between two and three years to get to 60 miles an hour on the motorway. So that's good. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but it will be very easy to park, which is actually good. I told my colleagues, they're like, now would it be cheaper just to get 6,000 horses? Like, oh, possibly, but they don't come with Bluetooth. So, Okay, but would it be cheap? I don't think it would be cheaper to no, get 6,000 horses. No, it wouldn't. No, of course it wouldn't. I mean, you probably could. It might be a small toy horse, which isn't really helpful for transport. Mm. Unless you tied a bunch of them together to make a raft. Yeah. I think on the whole, I'll probably just get the car. Um. My brain is totally blank. I've had one of those horrible days where just I cannot focus on anything. Mm. And my brain just loves to wander off, which bodes so well for the podcast. Hence why I'm drinking Diet Coke at seven o'clock at night. Well, I'm fairly underprepared, but I am quite focused. No, mine is I had a I was supposed to have a dentist appointment yesterday or a hygienist appointment that got cancelled because she was sick. So it got moved to today at a slightly earlier time. Mm -hmm. And you know that whole thing of like I can't do something because I've got an appointment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's yep, just completely thrown two days off me because oh. somehow I couldn't do stuff after the appointment because my morning had gone in a different direction obviously I, I do I wish do I could things. say I don't understand but I do <laughs> I put my phone in one of the kitchen cupboards and wasn't allowed it back until I'd finished planning the podcast oh that probably works yeah thankfully I have signal on browser so I can still chat to you oh yes good yes well we were talking about the podcast which I think is okay then yeah that's all we were talking about Mainly, mainly. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull up any evidence right now whatsoever. Well, no, no. Now I'm getting distracted because there's a message. But... Oh, that's right. I want to get into stenography. He sent me another pic another um, mechanical keyboard thing that's like a stenographer's thing. And you know how I was briefly obsessed with the idea of that the other month, and I forgot yep. about it for my own good. Well, now I've remembered it. Um, and I found a website where you can kind of practice on a qwerty keyboard. So I'm going to try that, and then if I like it, I can think about it further. Rather Excellent. than just spending like a hundred quid on a stenography stupid machine. keyboard, they look so stupid. But I want to type at two hundred words a minute. Do I need to? Not really. I want to. Maybe the transcripts would finally get done. Oh, I should be wearing my gloves. No, I won't. I won't wear my gloves. They're in my bag. I'll have to go through a whole thing. But yeah, no, they live don't. in my bag now because they're very good. Thank you. Oh yeah, I'm glad you like them. They're like wearing. They're like wearing the big long sleeves I always used to wear as a teenager, with the thumb through the hole it's that yep. length i'm glad the length was right because obviously i had to guess because i couldn't exactly go can i measure your hands yeah i mean i probably wouldn't have thought twice about it but yeah <laughs> yeah sure it's a, it's a new version of phrenology i'm inventing i just do what my friends say really becky plaster casted my hands once or twice covered me in ink and printed me once i just go along with stuff yeah but wasn't fine. she studying art at the time well yes but you do art things yeah, all right, fair. Should we make a podcast? Let's make a podcast. Hello and welcome to The True Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we're reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. 
and this is part two of our discussion of Night Watch. It is. We are watching the night. Note on spoilers before we crack on. This is a spoiler light podcast, obviously heavy spoilers for the book Night Watch, but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series, and we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Hopefully not through the roof of a watch house onto a bed of nails. Never go in through the privy, lads. Never. Have we got anything to follow up on? Uh, I've got something on Quantum. Abbott Everett on Reddit willfully disregarded your express wishes and has explained some quantum stuff in extreme depth, which I found very interesting, but I won't read out here. It is about the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics and lots and lots of things about quantum that I really could. I don't know enough about to summarize, but I'll link to the comment. It's uh, quite good because he's tied it back in with a lot of the uh, the actual passages from the book and things. Yes, I'll go and have a proper read of that and try not to learn anything, as is my <laughs> want. I also have to issue a formal apology for not naming Buggy Swires on his heron as the helicopter last week. Yeah, yeah, you did get told off for that. I will do better. Also, a correction that I said we first met Buggy Swires in Feet of Clay, and I mixed him up with Wee Mad Arthur. Oh, yeah, me too. characters. All right, yeah, fair. So, uh... I think we actually first met Buggy Swires and his aerial division in Jingo. Could be. So, Francine, would you like to tell us what happened previously on Nightwatch? Sir Samuel Vimes is moving up in the world. Well, he was, before a magical storm sent him down through the glass ceiling and right into the past, where the air is thick with lilac and revolution. Oh, and he brought a madman with him for extra spice. Vimes stands in for his former mentor prematurely deceased, Rip, looking out for his younger self and shaking up the night watch. He's changing history just in time for everything to go banana-shaped. What? I know my fruits. <laughs> Beautiful. I haven't pointed this out yet, but as you just did it, name of the thing in the thing. Like, oh, name of the thing in the thing. Night watch. People were discussing on our Reddit a few weeks ago which of the Discord books has the highest proportion of name of the thing in the thing, and I think this one might be up there. Yeah, it's got to be up there. Yeah, this it's just whole... the name is the name of the thing. Yeah, the name of the thing it's in one the, of the thing is the, the name of the yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the name of the things, the lesser known original draft of the Tolkien story that eventually became the Cimmerillion. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, we should say where this section starts and finishes, I suppose. Uh, we should. This section starts on page 163 with a sentence. Uh, calves liver. Now that's Is where the, the last one ended. Yes, I know. That's where it starts, you said. Oh, whatever. The beast remembers is where this starts. You correct me, but it's literally the next word. People can work it out. I like to be clear and ends no, <laughs> on page 257 with a little more champagne. Calves liver, champagne. Ooh. What a gourmet day we have had. In this section, for a yeah. given value of summarising... <laughs> Vimes sleeps and remembers swing. History is happening and the revolution's imminent. What do you stall for? He wakes, he meets a pie seller and is inadvertently slipped a piece of paper about Morphic Street. Young Nobby's on Vimes's tail, but he's quickly caught. Lady Meserol, Rosie Palm, Snubs of Cable Street and Ned Coates all want Keel kept an eye on. There's been a break-in at Treacle Mine Road and a silver ink stand's briefly missing, while at the Assassin's Guild, Downey bothers Dog Botherer and burns a book. There's a rumour that our Keel's a spy and young Sam's repeating the politics of our mum. 
While patrolling Morphic Street, Vimes arrests an unmentionable and apparently interrupts a meeting of dangerous anarchists. More Cable Street particulars arrive, led by Sergeant Carser, but young Sam rings the bell and acquires an audience. Vimes has changed history, he thinks, and he takes his arrested unmentionable back to the watchhouse to prepare for war. Time flows in strict courses and potential riots have moved to other places with new causes. Vimes opens up the watchhouse and lays traps for the unsuspecting unmentionables before confronting the man on the street. As two irregulars get caught in the watchhouse, Vimes steps out and stays away from the, ba- the man with a handful of glass. Dr. Lorne is sent for, but he's too late to help the dead crossbowman that lands in the street. There's riots in the streets, and other watchhouses are under siege. Vimes sends out for some ginger beer. Meanwhile, a rooftop assassin joins Lady M in a coach. The young veterinary fills her in on Sergeant Keel and informs her he's found a way into the palace. Vimes begins interrogating, and Ferret confesses everything, while the other two irregulars are delivered to Cable Street. The Agni aunts grab Sam. He's knocked up and wait, knocked out, and wakes. <laughs> knocked up and wakes out. What a wakes day! Up among the seamstresses, an interview with Madame Meserol has revolutionary undertones and an offer of command. But Keel's been making enemies. Undertone, Vimes, overtone, <laughs> undertone, overtone, wandering. <laughs> Good. Uh, Vimes goes home, but Veterinaria was watching. The anger will make a handy diversion. Mm. That's where he learned that trick. Yep. So helicopters and loincloths this time. Uh, a lot of flying fruit, which, as we all know, is a breed of helicopter, but I'm mm-hmm. specifically going for the apple hurled at Veterinaria's head and caught on a fork. Excellent. Yes, I like that. Uh, we also had someone falling through a roof, someone else falling off a roof. Many things have gone through the air. But I think the apple is, yes, your helicopter. The apple is my helicopter. And we have a mention of lilac silk, which could be a very fancy loincloth. Mm. What was it? Uh, As the coach passed a torch, there was a suggestion of lilac silk. A suggestion of silk. Definitely a loincloth. Yeah. Also, just it's got a very susurration vibe, hasn't it? Also, as I like keeping track of these things, uh, the events of this book are taking place in the year of the dancing dog. Oh, good. Just so we know. Quotes. Mine is a quick silly one because it's all going to get dark and depressing later. And this is one of my favourite Pratchett jokes ever. Okay. No, please. I'll tell you whatever you want to know, the man yelled. Really? said Vimes. What's the orbital velocity of the moon? <laughs> Did we find out? Sadly, no. Well, They might probably. know already. Because the well, last hero. Well, yes, but the last hero is in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, Sam might know already. Sam, I'm being so familiar with him now. I don't know if I ever called him Sam before this. <laughs> I feel like we know Sam. him now. Vimesy. Oh, Vime. No, I don't like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Give us a pretty quote, Francine. Give us okay. a pretty one. Okay. Beyond the walls of the yard, the real night had closed in. The old night with its tendrils of fog and crawling shadows. He relaxed and wore it like an overcoat. That is very pretty. It is. It is. I enjoy it. Mm. We both highlighted that one. And Joanna was gracious enough to go and grab a different quote because I was, as I say, in the chippy. <laughs> Don't keep saying chippy or I'll start singing the Victoria Wood song. I was watching that on TikTok earlier. I was so pleased when Victoria Wood came up on TikTok. It's great. In the chippy. <laughs> I've done a plat. It's right, effective that. It looks great. It's really great. Fuck. All right. Um, right. Sorry. Characters. Characters. Let's talk about Sam Vimes or Sam, as you apparently call him. Sam Vimes is 
feeling a little guilty about how good he's feeling. Yeah, or that was about how into it all he's getting. Right at the end, when uh, Lady Meserol offers him command, and he sort of thinks that he could, and the second thought is, oh, maybe not in this city, not under Snapgaze. Mm-hmm. And then he remembers Sybil. Yeah. And um, you didn't think, he tells himself you didn't think about Sybil until thought three. Yeah. Oops. <sighs> but, you know, that's. I think he's being a bit hard on himself there. Obviously, that's his motivation. And given the chance, he would snap back straight away. But you do the job that's in front of you. Yeah, the refrain keeps coming back in this section. You have near the beginning as he's thinking about what's to come. You did the job that was in front of you like unimaginative coppers always did. Mm. And then later in that conversation with Lady Meserol towards the end of the section, I'm going to finish the job that's in front of me and then I'm going home. Mm. So we've also got Vimes kind of building up the legend of Kiel here, haven't we? And we never really, we don't know exactly how much his legend chimes with Kiel's, but there's definite deviations so the rest of the force now think that he's there to hunt down Casa, which he is but yes. for different origins uh, <laughs> not for different reasons even from different origins and he's he's kind of going off a 30 year old memory as well and so yeah. even the things he's remembering and trying to do the same are going to be this guy who's lionized in his head. And so you just kind of got this. And remembers like, through lilac tinted spectacles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's doing pretty well, I think, all things considered, although he is becoming aware that he's slightly untethered from the correct yeah. stream of time. Do you and tell you yourself of, to a stream? You don't. Never mind. He can't help <laughs> being the person. That he is. So you mm. have things like the Vimes roulette with the uh, the inkstand, mm. where it's been stolen, and obviously someone's trying to set it up by having it in his locker. Uh, the moment of he's got half a brick in his locker and says he's saving up for a house. <laughs> like that, it's a moment, it's really good because it's it, it's a good Pratchett bit because it's a moment of extreme tension. Everyone's wondering where the inkstand's yeah. going to be, but you have the brick and you have um, Colin's locker. That has yes. something educational in it. Extracurricular reading, good lad. <laughs> but the way he kind of fondly remembers it, because he's thinking about, you know, the teenage version of him that's there now would have been wide-eyed and blushing and it would have been passed around the younger members of the watch. Yeah. And then we get that nice little bit of uh, foreshadow when he's like, oh, we didn't put it in Coates Locker after we found there. Um yeah, that's a really good build-up of tension. There's lots of fun build-up of tension, especially because you have things like other people saying, oh, some people think you're a spy. Mm. And then there's the argument mm. of spy for who. Yeah. And you get him managing Tilden when the inkwell inkstand, he's put it back in the safe and he gives Tilden that moment of, okay, it's mild embarrassment, but it's better than it being in someone's locker. He's so smooth with it all that you don't see the bumps in the road coming, which is quite cool. Yeah. And again, I, I've got, I, it's not Sam, but I've got a bit of sympathy for Tilden again as he's yeah. struggling to float along the with the revolutionary tide. And as much as he can bring himself to say, because he's not been raised to question orders, is some of the orders we've been given lately have not been thought out properly. What? Yes, yes. 
and especially it's it's hurting him to know that a lot of it was like well one of the big things was his old regiment yes that's gonna hurt that's really gonna hurt and then bless you've got young sam as well yeah oh he's he's doing all right <laughs> he's getting a little bit political <laughs> around trusting. the years a little bit political around the years he's like oh yes well if he'd found a slip saying he was a revolutionary that definitely would have proved it wouldn't, wouldn't it mr keel wouldn't it sarge and it's Arch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going to bring you down for the ginger beer charade. All right. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Not there yet, are we, buddy? <laughs> and the politics his mum's learned in the fish shop. Yeah. The, the angry masses. Chewing keel's ear off about it like you're lucky i'm not a fucking spy the angry masses will rise up and throw off their shekels the fishmonger says Mm -hmm. Uh, which is quite sweet because we were talking last week about going back and dealing with our younger selves and sam sums it up vimes sums it up quite nicely Mm. when you got older you found out that you now wasn't you then because you then was a twerp (laughs) yes and a special (laughs) bonus points for twerp which is an underutilized word i agree i like twerp Twerp, twit. I try and use twit. It's, it's a good one when I'm correcting myself from saying twat. So usually I say, what a twit. <laughs> the pause is important. And, oh, the moment where young Sam's inviting Keel over for tea. <laughs> and very sweet. It's very sweet and he says no, but it's really hard for a second when he says, oh, besides, I know he's, or he's thinking to himself, I know she's been up in small gods these past 10 years and I'd rather put one hand flat on the table and give Swing the hammer than walk down Cockbill Street today. Yeah. Yeah, parts of his life he just doesn't want to. Just doesn't want to. Which I respect. Yeah, and I like that that's not explained. You get you get to project onto that a bit. Yeah. And I think I, it's I think an, it's largely just to keep that intact as yeah, a memory, keep it, keep it intact to, as it was, and not put a weird layer on it. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to go kicking through your proper childhood, do you? As much as he might want some distressed pudding. <laughs> Speaking of uh, insults, skag. Had you ever heard skag outside of this? Like a bit of me feels like I must have, but maybe I've just read this so many times mm. that skag lives in my brain. It sounds a lot like scrag as well, like scragging someone's neck. It's just it's good and violent. It's a good boarding school insult. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of young Sam and jumping forward to Casa, mm. the moment where Casa realizes that that's baby Sam Vimes, that's a chilling moment. <laughs> yes. Have you got the quote? Yeah, it tried to appear as if nothing had happened, tried to pretend that the world had not cracked open and let in the cold winds of infinity. (laughs) And you can feel that, can't you? The moment where something's gone horribly wrong, you just, it doesn't show on your face yet, but all your insides just disappeared. Yep. (laughs) Everything is sort of on fire and frozen at the same time now, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, good. <laughs> it can also be summarised quite neatly with fuck. But yeah, I think Casa does another lovely demonstration of being like completely unhinged here. So one of them calls him Sarge, and then he goes through the whole of the rest of the scene. It's and literally then like a whole two-page spread. Yeah. I was about to say the same thing. It's yeah. great yeah. because when I first when I read it, I had to go and find where someone had called him Sarge. Me too. Yeah, I had to flick that. I was like. Eh? Eh? Oh, 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 good. Very nice. <laughs> and I bet everyone did. And I bet that was deliberate. Yes. But yeah, Casa, good scary villain. Mm-hmm. 
speaking of villains, find the swing. We get a bit more context. We get a bit more context for him right at the beginning of this section when Vimes is kind of sleeping and dreaming on swing. So we learn that he was trained at the assassin school and as Vimes puts it, had too much brain to be a copper. (laughs) But he'd impressed Wonder, promoted captain immediately, probably because the officers were offended at seeing such a fine gentleman pounding the streets with the rest of the oiks. Yeah. Yeah. And it talks about his, uh, it calls it craniometry that he's doing. Yeah. I like that he came up with a different word for it. That that's his word, isn't it? No. Uh, oh, is it I not? Oh, okay. No, I, this is a very quick Google. Google. I read the Wikipedia page. I didn't learn oh. a lot. Craniometrics, which in the book is him using calipers to test personalities, find criminal elements. It's distinct from phrenology. Craniometrics basically means measurement of the cranium, but it has been used to measure. Measuring the cranium has been used to measure intelligence, often incorrectly, in anthropology extensively practiced by racists i'm so, shocked <laughs> it's a close cousin with phrenology but phrenology is more about facial features and craniometrics is measurement of the cranium separately and i didn't have time to go down this rabbit hole i was about to say i wonder what the difference is with like the lumps and bumps on the skull because i know you do that with the phrenology yes. artists from about the 15th century onwards have made a big study of craniometrics to attain greater accuracy and representation hmm. And I didn't go into the rabbit hole of the two artists who really began that practice, but that's a thing for another time. 15th century, you say? Yes. That's interesting. That's when they started having kind of a revolution in perspective, like we were talking about with the medieval bestiary stuff. Yeah, uh, so that was rabbit craniometry hole, yeah. probably has yeah, something yeah. to do. And mm. Also, just a quick reminder that we have already experienced on the disc retrophrenology, where someone <laughs> has taken the logic of... Oh, that didn't come back to me at all till now. <laughs> too many mallets to the head. <laughs> Yeah, someone has taken the logic of the shape of your head defines your personality and extend it one text further to I can use a mallet to change your personality by changing the shape of your skull. I love that. Yeah, that is, again, one of my favourite Discworld jokes. I'd definitely be one of those cases like with someone who's had too many plastic surgeries and it's just ended up much worse than it would have been. I'd have been someone who had so many mallets to the head that I've just kind of found a new set of letters to go on the end of my ADHD. It'll be... (laughs) Anyway, so Dibbler. Dibbler, Dibbler, Dibbler has a pie. Dibbler sells a pie. Payoff from uh, the line in the first section where Dibbler mentions selling his first, selling one of his first pies, and he ate the whole thing. All of it. What a what a what a hero! And I like it because you get the moment where he's running after him, and your thought, well, my first thought is always, oh, he's gone to give him the one with real meat in instead, because you know he's made mates with him now. But no, it's something cooler. But yeah. But also I like that, you know, Dibbler fondly remembering that he sold a pie to this man and the man ate the whole pie and the reason Vimes ate the whole pie is to make yeah. sure that <laughs> he could keep that bit of paper. Absolutely. With um, password sawfish. Swordfish. It's always swordfish. Apart from when it's, fuck, the hallucinated bread from one. Oh, hang on. Have you just got that next to you? Yeah, I was looking up something else relevant to this, and now I want to see if I can find the... We've um, loads of really early book throwbacks recently, haven't we? It's like you were yeah. saying, everything's tanked. It's all coming together. It's all connecting. Oh, here we are. Uh, the significant owl hoots in the night, yet many grey lords go sadly to the masterless men. Hooray, hooray for the spinster's sister's daughter. To the axeman, all supplicants are the same height, yet verily the rose is within the thorn. The good mother makes bean soup for the errant boy. 
Are you sure that the ill-built tower doesn't tremble mightily at a butterfly's passage? (laughs) What about the caged whale? Oh, you want the elucidated brethren of the Ebon Knight. Three doors down. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't need to read the whole thing, but once you start... Yes, you did. That's that's definitely a run-on. Nice callback to guards! 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 Swordfish! I saw some pictures of the baby swordfish recently, and that was nice and good. And everyone should look for those. They get their nose very quickly. They just look like little tadpoles with huge noses, and it's very cute. Listeners, your homework is to look at pictures of the baby swordfish. Yep. I'm a very nice homework setter. Well done. We meet young Nobby. Oh, it's baby Nobby. (laughs) Mild noises of attempted maternal feeling. (laughs) Even if it's a bit slimy. (laughs) Oh, because he oh his dad's horrible to him. Oh. That was a dark moment. Yeah. We were talking about like Lady Meserole caught him. What was he doing? Something inappropriate involving a Molly. Snicking, I believe. A nit, whatever I've got it noted somewhere. But yes, that snickering her Molly, Nolly. Yep. And he's talking about he doesn't <laughs> want to go to the Tanty because Sconner, his father's in there, and Vimes remembered. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he used to break your arms. Like that was a fucking dark moment. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't weigh anything, and he gets fed, and he's a good boy. No single feature in itself was more than passably (laughs) ugly, but the combination was greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. It's also interesting to see the age gap between Nobby and Colin. Like, I know there is one, but because Nobby's age has been probably 30 since Guards Guards, Mm. and Colin is, I think, like, recently wed here, I believe? Yeah, so I'm guessing he... I've put Colin in my head as 21 here. Yeah. And Nobby, I've put around nine, mm-hmm. eight or nine. Yeah. He's very young. Yeah. Which, yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? Winding yes. forward. What's yes, because fast forwarding. Sort of, <laughs> takes rewinding, on... post winding, pre winding, fast forwarding. <laughs> Colin takes on a bit of a like older, more superior, experienced watchman. <laughs> when you're a man of the world like me, Nobby. <laughs> Which is great because you can tell he's, you can now tell he's been playing off that age gap since it was significant. Yes. <laughs> uh. Speaking of Nobby, who got caught robbing Lady Meserol. Is that how you pronounce that? I have no idea, but Me I'm going with it. I don't, I, that's one of the ones where my brain didn't try and pronounce it in my head. So, Yeah, I think I've mostly been referring to her mentally as Lady M. Yeah, yeah. Meserol. Meserol. Is that Meserol. Meserol. But yes, she's Got great. Got a bunch on her like a mule. Of course. Which is what I look for in a woman. That and champagne. I like it when, champ- this sounds sarcastic, but it's not. I like it when champagne is a character trait. Does that make sense? Yes, Absolutely. She's got that similar vibe as Sybil of kind of moving like a ship in full flight, although we mostly see her sat down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Even so. (laughs) I very much enjoyed the sort of champagne drunk out of a big blue mug with a teddy bear on it. I like the champagne as a character trait. Is you allergic to diamonds then? So the cat thing, uh, one of our listeners tweeted like, oh, I'm disappointed you pointed out Morris's tabby because I thought I'd spotted a cameo in Nightwatch and I'm assuming he was referring to this cat who is described oh. as Ginger. But it could be Morris. It could be Morris's friend. There's such be. a thing yeah. as die. Yeah. If you want to headcan it in it as Morris, I'm not going to stop you. Speaking of die, I noticed that Sam Bohms said, but a lady's hair could be any colour tomorrow. Sam Bohms, you are thinking... With too narrow a mind, anyone's hair can be any colour tomorrow. 
men's hair is not special. It can, even when society does not deem it normal, be dyed for meanings, for, for use of uh, disguises. Slash There's a top tip for you, head of the top watch. Top <laughs> I, I don't mind that, though, because he is discussing her specifically as oh, a yeah. lady, no, no, and no. I think he's talking specifically <laughs> about how certain ladies might want to... No, absolutely. It was, it was genuinely just a <laughs> moment, not a... No, it is great. <laughs> I really enjoy where she's interviewing Keel and says, oh, you're thinking old seamstress, aren't you? And he says, actually, I was thinking bespoke tailoring. <laughs> Love that. Which Love that. It's like a flattering. high class ex- escort thing, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing is, I think she isn't. And I love the fact that she finds that flattering almost. Yes. We're well, very pro-sex worker in this book. We are very pro-sex worker. I enjoyed the pro-sex workness. I, uh, she also makes a comment about having business in Uberwald, but things are very unsettled there at the moment. Mm. Shall we mm. think werewolves and vampires are probably at each other's throats quite a bit right now? I imagine so. If you think There's about no one you want that your throat less. The political upheaval in Uberwald pre there was some contracts and there were some treaties and things. The Diet of Bugs. Diet of Bugs, what then? Yes, yes, quite so. That's probably happening around now. I imagine you're correct. And we haven't split up into the little nations that they're talking about later with Borogravia and Moldavia. Moldavia. Yeah. And I like that she's, as she's speaking to Kiel, she sort of does the, are you one of us? Do you know what we are? Yes. This section also gets the references to Ken Follett that I was talking about. Uh, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Follett with his magnificent head of hair and apparently a very good lute player. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a delight. Oh, chortle. <sighs> Sorry about that. Yeah, what did you think of the the little whiskey test? I think Vines has experienced a lot of those tests in his time now, but I think it's interesting that that's what they went for. Because that's also what uh, Lady Margolotta went for, yeah? Not yeah. quite, because she just said, do you want to drink? I know yeah, you don't. Yeah, she kept <laughs> offering. But yeah, yeah, just putting the whiskey right there. I don't know. Seems a bit, doesn't seem above... I don't, no, I don't suppose it's, it. It it, do, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem below them actually. Now I think about it, because obviously Lady Mesrol is getting people drunk as as her default way of manipulating dealing them. with them. Yes, yeah, so worth a try. Also, feels like it's not they're not just trying to get him drunk, mm. but they put the whiskey there to test him. But I yeah. don't think they're so much testing him as they're testing the strength of their intel. Yes, that's one of a good the things point. they have yeah. been told is that he doesn't drink, and they mm-hmm. want to see if that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or that's yeah. an interpretation of it. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, good, good. Who's next? Vesinari. Oh! Dog, dog botherer. Sorry. Dog botherer. Oh, poor dog botherer. Uh, considering what he grows up into, I think he can cope with being called dog botherer a bit as a child. Well, sure. I still don't like to see bullies. What a I, moment. Sorry. I was just I enjoy the fact that the bully is the man who eventually becomes head of the Assassin's Guild. This is it. I want to know what kind of tension that caused. And I mean, obviously, Downey did get taken down. He gets Neat. some skag-painted uh, tiger stripes on his face. No, I mean, later, he's the head of the Assassin's Guild that tries to get in on the plot to take down Batnari, isn't he? Or is that someone oh, else? No, I think he was oh, the fuck, head of the, the Assassin's Guild after. I think he's the newer one. I think he oh. uh, is the one that deals with the auditors in Hogfather. You're quite right. You are. Well, even more interesting then, because he's allowed the to get into that role. And although Vetinari, of course, doesn't have any direct say over the goings on in the guild, and of course he would never even pressure anybody into 
for instance, never letting his school bully into a position of power. But now, of course, he's exactly where he wants him and he gets to enjoy the fact that they have to work together every day while Downey knows he was a right twit. Yeah, I think Vetinari is on the surface. Vetinari is not petty if Downey's the best person for the job. Downey should be in the job. But no, Vetinari is petty as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoying the fact that Downey probably squirms a bit whenever he has to deal yeah. with him and that Downey still, deep down, feels that Vetinari is in fact a skag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he does get a small comeuppance, but it's it's inter- it's entirely for Vetinari's own satisfaction because Downey wakes up thinking he just got too drunk and some skag painted on him, like if you got written on your face at night kind of thing. But Vetinari gets to go, ha paint him like a tiger. Yeah. Vetinari's like scheming from a young age, but he's not the Vetinari we know yet. So we have, you know, he's reading about camouflage mm-hmm. and he's quite pleased that they destroyed the book so he didn't have to. So no one yeah. else knows these things he's learned. Yeah, he's he's already definitely a step above your obvious emotion stuff. Yeah. Uh, two of the funniest moments in the section, uh, one after he's taken out the would-be assassin, his movements could be called cat-like except that he did not stop to spray <laughs> urine on things. <laughs> Which is a nice callback to Amazing Morris and Militia's attempt at moving like cats. Sneak. <laughs> Are we doing the visuals again? Listeners. Sorry. We listeners. did. Little cat poses there. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, you know, the other bit that made me laugh is the fact that he was failed on his uh, concealment classes because the professor didn't see him there. Yeah. <laughs> And he's trickery in his exam. Of course I did. Isn't that the point? And then I like also that Vimes has this little moment of speculation about, well, Vetinari's around here somewhere then, after we've already met him in that. Learning that little smile of his. Yes. We also have plummeting down to the other end of society, Ned Coates. Yeah. Ned Coates is an interesting one because we're mostly seeing him through the lens of knock in this section. Mm-hmm. He was himself just a bit of a sad wanker. Yeah. Winsborough. Winsborough. I mean, it's no wonder he came out the way he did with a name like Winsborough. Yeah. At least, he, at least we got to see yet another moment of Vimes holding, I know what you did, but I'm going to pretend to be all chummy. Just adding these up. <laughs> and he knows at this point that Nock thinks he's a spy asks mm-hmm. what Nock thinks of Coates, and Coates, uh, Nock immediately throws Coates under the bus. Yeah, twat. Troublemaker, barrack room lawyer, rebel sympathies? Could be, sir. Wouldn't like to see the lad in trouble. Ugh. And obviously we know that there was something in Coates' locker. We know there's something more to Coates, and also he's paying Nobby to spy on Sam. Yeah, I would, if it was cheap. Just see what's going on. It's like a soap. Half- they don't have Netflix. <laughs> I do like the, um, oh, this one only paid me half a penny to watch you, so I don't watch you much on his account. <laughs> that did make me properly chuckle, actually, yeah. <laughs> and then I suppose we'll talk about Coates a bit more later. So on to we will. Ferret. Ferret. The sort of little twerp who got a kick out of showing his dagger to women in bars. Yeah. So um, to but- speak. No, actually. <laughs> Pratchett is really good at making these characters who are just irritating and kind of gross enough that we don't mind something nasty happening to them. Mm. But at the same time, they're just sympathetic enough. We can feel sorry for them when the nastiness happens. We can do a little bit of both with them. Yeah, yeah. Although we do know this one's torture adjacent, at least. Yes. 
But yeah, yeah, the little details just to show we all know this dude. He's like, yeah. he's wearing rings. Assassins don't wear rings. That's stupid. And they go shiny. But he's wearing rings because he wants to look like an assassin. He he He's cool, he thinks. And he is definitely compensating for a lack of personality. Yes. He's drawn one on instead and it's not a very nice one. <laughs> and then we don't meet this character, but we start getting some build up to Snapcase, mm. the future patrician. Yeah. And it's it's quite a sad note to the book because Vimes is changing history a bit willy-nilly, but we know that this next guy is just as bad. We know that we yeah, still have to go through better this in shit some guy. ways. Yeah. Like just a, another I think wonder. That- that some of the really like fascist stuff seems to be out, doesn't it? But he's just He's still an unpleasant. He's, he's, he's not the revolution incarnate. Yeah. Another winder with fancier waistcoats and more chins. Yeah. Same cronyism, piggy ways, stupid arrogance. One more leech in a line of leeches that'll make veterinary seem like a breath of fresh air. Yep. And with that, you get, again, in that conversation with Sam and Lady Meserol, a new patrician needing new friends, far-sighted people who want to be part of a new future. And they're very much pointing out that the action on the streets is a distraction from the political revolution happening in closed doors, which is just turning people against Winder and to Snapcase. Yes. And obviously no one is as far-sighted as Vimes. No one can look at this and go, no, Snapcase is just as much of a bad idea because well, he is the best they've got at, the, at this point. Yeah, I wonder slightly because... I'm oh half remembering here, but we Vetnari's aunt is mentioned early in the books, isn't she? He's got an aunt somewhere. Oh yeah, indirectly referenced in several other books. Yes, yeah, so that is her. All of this does several decades later culminate in Vetnari saying, "Being like a breath of fresh air." I wonder how foresighted she is. If she wants to set Vetnari up as the future, yeah, probably, probably not. Probably not. That idea probably comes a bit later, but. Mm. No, I feel like he's more uh, a piece on the board to try and manipulate things into better futures and Vetinari actually being the one to take control is probably more his idea. But in very much, uh, you know, when someone's doing something badly and you rather than showing them how to do it, you just want to take it off them and do it properly yourself because it's frustrating oh, yeah. to watch. Yeah. I feel like that's how Vetinari became <laughs> patrician. Like, just, oh my God, I'll do it! <sighs> right, everybody, calm down. <laughs> Have some guilds. Guild. <laughs> you guild. You guild. You scorpion pit. Yeah, I haven't mentioned any locations for this week because you don't really go anywhere. Um, oh, you uh, wanted to speculate on some other characters, though. Oh, yeah. I just thought, like, where do the agony ants come from? Because we see them later, briefly, mm-hmm. in what one of the modern books. But they're already deary, auntie by this point we don't know how elderly they are they might just be dressed like older women and that's a cool disguise because i think that would be good that would yeah. be something i might do if i was trying to well also you know there are some them. people who become like a dairy type auntie at the age of like 40 and mm-hmm. then stay that way for another 50 years i feel mm-hmm. like they could be those yeah there's also a possibility i feel like that they could be like oh there's got to be a better way of putting this but if, but like james bond they just get replaced by New dot C's and C's. And so maybe Miss Fatty can become one of them later. But as long as there's always an Agony Aunt. Listeners, please write in with your Agony Aunt headcanons because I find them very fun characters. I enjoy them. Little bits we liked. Oh, yes. Nobby's slang? Nobby's slang. I just thought it was rather nice. Probably, but I ain't done nothing, mister. Bimes bent down to look into eyes that peered out at the world through a mask of grime. 
How about whizzing wipers, snitching tinklers, pulling wobblers, flogging tumblers and running rumbles? What's pulling wobblers mean? That's stealing trifles, small items, isn't it? Nah, nah, that's tottering nevels. Oil of angels? The bribe. And a dimber? Could be a headbeggar, could just be a handsome man. But you don't know how to fleeg a jade, though. And that's a little bit of foreshadowing. That is a bit of foreshadowing, actually. I completely didn't notice that. One of the things I loved about the horrible history books that I still remember is that there were often like little bits of slang like that. So it was a bit about like Victorian crime kids, whatever. And there were whole sections about slang like that. And I like it. I did. I didn't think to do it until now, but I have the amazing dictionary of euphemisms that you got me for Christmas next to me, and I didn't look any of those up. Ah, well, well, we'll do a follow up with that. Yes, we'll follow up on euphemisms. (laughs) Whizzing wipers does get honourable mention. It was nearly my helicopter. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But no, Pratchett does have an incredible ability for just putting a bunch of silly words together and making it incredibly funny. Yes, As I talked about at great length in The Last Hero. With the dragons, yes. Lovely. You've got another little one, and we have just got little ones today, haven't we? Well done. Yeah, we've we've kept this to a minimum because there's there's just so much to fucking talk about, isn't there? This was originally something I noted in that it was another fun selection of silly words. Hmm. Slum gullet, boiled eels, lobscouse, wet nellies, slumpy, and treacle billy. Ooh. Okay. The sorts of foods available at these, this hot chair eating place that Vines takes Nobby to. But I did decide to check some definitions. Oh. So slum gullet, mm. I'm assuming is a reference to slum gullion. Ooh. Ooh. Which, God, that's a fun word to say. Slum which is gullion. American English. I think it's full, it's not as commonly used these days. It's a bit old fashioned, um, but it's a term for like a cheap stew. Okay. But it, uh, originally meant the refuse from processing whale carcasses. Mm-mm. Whaley good. Uh, gullion um, appears to come from quagmire or cesspool, so I'm sure slum gullion uh, is just... Yeah, lovely. Along lovely. those lines. Yeah. What a satisfying sentence. Slum might have meant send them to chum as well, I imagine, at some point. Or Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Uh, I didn't go deep into the etymology of all of these. I'm glad, because that sounds gross. <laughs> uh, Lobscouse, a few of our listeners might have heard of, especially Welsh and Liverpudlian listeners. It's still used as a term for a sort of meat and potato type stew there. Is that why Liverpudlians are called scousers? Yes, well, scouse is another name for a dish, but they do all seem to overlap and have similar etymologies. But lobscouse comes from lapscouse, the Nor- uh, Norwegian word. Huh. Um, and this sort of, again, cheap stew, meat and potatoes, seems to have ended up landing in the UK in poor cities on the West Coast from Northern Europe. Interesting. There's a lot of words for it in um, Norwegian, Swedish, Finnish, Danish, that sort of thing. Hmm, I wonder what the Scottish variants are. Yes, well... A Scottish variant, slumpy. Oh. Um, that's a Scottish dish, again, sort of stew thing made with minced beef. There's a recipe for this slumpy. This one I know, I think. There's a recipe for slumpy and clooty dun- dumplings in Nanny Ogg's cookbook. There it is, that's why, yeah. And um, masquerade, slumpy is dis- dished up to the opera singer. Yeah, who's uh, Enrico Basilica. Um, we also have wonderful pudding. Wet Nelly. Uh, a type of bread pudding made with suet and dried fruit that became popular during World oh. War II rationing. It is a cheaper and notably damper because it's a soggy <laughs> bread pudding type thing. 
version. No, the notably damper version is never something I want to hear on a menu, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a version of a, a Nelson cake, which is a term for a fruit cake from Lancashire, hence why it's called a wet Nelly. Okay. Or a damp Nelson, if you're posh. I'm not. I think. I think I prefer wet Nelly. <laughs> This was a weird one, though, because when I was typing Wet Nelly into Google, uh, one of the autocompletes was Elon Musk. <laughs> and I really wasn't sure of the context. So it turns out Wet Nelly is also the name of a car that turns into a submarine in the Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, all right. Um, specifically for the car nerds listening, uh, it's a Lotus Esprit S1. And the car mm-hmm. used in the film is now owned by Elon Musk. I see. Hence the autocomplete. Wet Nelly. As far as I'm aware, uh, Elon Musk has very little connection to damp bread puddings. Except in vibe. Treacle Billy was an interesting one because oh. Google took me in a couple, in a weird place oh. to an analysis of uh, the... There's an album called Dublin Street Songs by a man called Frank Hart. I've never, not listened to this yet. Um, and the page Google took me to was an al- analysis of the lyrics to songs on this album. Right. And a note on the lyrics for the song The Twang Man says, A light-hearted murder story from the middle of the last century. I am told that Twang Man was a kind of sweetmeat and that Treacle Billy was a kind of toffee made from treacle. Okay. Uh, however, Green's Dictionary of Slang says Treacle Billy is Irish slang for a lodging house. Okay. Could be both. So, uh, Irish listeners, if you've ever heard the term Treacle Billy... Uh, yeah, I'll check some of my random dictionaries as well, and we'll we'll meet back here next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the euphemisms. You take the uh, some obscure reference book that you've got. I already had a few, but this podcast has massively expanded my shelf of uh, esoterica, so I have many a place to check for this kind of absolute nonsense. What a wonderful world we live in where people write such books. Absolutely <laughs> delightful. And you had a question, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I thought, because um, I was thinking about like, oh, it'd be weird to bump into young Bernari if you were Sam. If you were Sam. <laughs> if you were catapulted back in time, back to our mm-hmm. previous question, but less depressing this time, who would you track down? Whose young self would you track down out of curiosity? First of all, in Discworld. Ooh, so in Discworld, I mean, I'm enjoying young Rosie Palm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, young Granny Weatherwax and young Nanny Og, especially young Nanny Og. I think that would have just You want to go a- make friends? I want to go be friends with young Nanny Og. <laughs> Cute. I mean, I want to be young Nanny Og and then old Nanny Og. I want to be Nanny Og. You want to be Nanny Og. That's fair. I understand yeah. that. I think, yeah, I had Granny Weatherwax on there. And I think also one of like the other witches, uh, so like either Black Alice or Old Mother Dismas or someone who's now either a legend or not really on our plane of existence anymore. Um, yes. Just to see what the last generation of witches were like. Young Ridcully, I feel like, could be quite entertaining. Oh, yeah. Because he, uh, he was outside the university, wasn't he? He was off terrorising wildlife. He was a village where he was a country wizard. Yeah. And then like in real life then. I mean, as I'm reading Mark's book, London Boys, at the moment, I feel like young David Bowie would be an obvious one. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. I think, I mean, if we're just taking Terry Pratchett as a given, I think I would like to meet... <sighs> See, I was thinking of like real life ones, and now, I, now I'm like, like real life like people I know. Oh, yeah. I'd quite like to meet my mum at my age. 
or not my age because she'd had me by now. Oh God, crisis, crisis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, like yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to meet my mum, my grandma, or something. Yeah, like teenage Robbie. Yeah. Actually, I'd love to meet my great aunt when she was younger. Oh because... yeah. Oh the um the mad one, the good mad one. Uh, what's the word when it's fun? Eccentric. Eccentric. <laughs> She was eccentric. She was full of gin. She was a chef and married to a lovely Italian man who imported lots of quartz. I just think she was probably quite a lot of fun in her younger years. I, know I she bet she was. Very much opted to not have children so that she could work in kitchens and then go on lots of nice trips. I mean, I feel like obviously I've got rose-tinted spectacles here. For all I know, she was an absolute arsehole. Oh, yeah. But if you're just there for a holiday. Yep. <laughs> okay, good. Good. All right, should we go on to the big stuff? Well us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so talking about Grimm. <laughs> right, let's get on to the uh, depressing aspect of this. There's yeah. some historical context. So, the Dolly Sisters riot mm-hmm. in this one is kind of a the mm, spark on the tinderbox. Yeah. So, even though he's averted the Morphic Street conspiracy event, which might itself correspond to several conspiracy events. I was thinking maybe the Cato Street event, which is tied into um, the massacre at Peterloo. Mm -hmm. So it was Peterloo that Pratchett had in mind for this, and he said as much. Uh, He said, it was Peterloo that I had in mind, as discussed here, here being the fan group, uh, some time ago. But as a general rule, when things look bad, there's always some dickhead who can make them worse. Yeah. Which is very true. Sending some twats with weapons into a tense, dense crowd is a bad idea, I would say, generally. Um, you think stadium crushes is another example, but most relevant here are things like strikes and protests that turn yeah. into massacres and riots. And it is so often just because you send some idiot in to corner everybody at once so in this case it's cavalry specifically in dolly sisters i mean it's idiots on horseback yes yeah which is a massive problem because cavalry is very intimidating and kind of elevates the aggressors as well in a way that dehumanizes the people they're slashing at and i think that became evident here so peter lee was at st petersfield manchester um 16th august 1819 18 people died, some later on from their injuries, due to the Manchester and Salford Yeomanry, sabres drawn, charging their horses into a crowd of 60,000 people. Um, The rally had been like an attempt to bring mass pressure to bring about parliamentary reform without resorting to insurrection, was the point. Mm -hmm. Like Dolly Sisters, it it happened against like a background of hunger and overpriced foods for a lot of people who would have been there, would have been there just you know, they've been fucking starving for a long time. There's yeah. not only political radicals here, although there are a lot of them. Um, but it, it was by design a peaceful rally, is the thing. Um, the organisers had prohibited weapons entirely, defensive and offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say some people didn't bring them anyway. But the point was, it was not a violent rally. And it was only when the mounted cavalry came in to arrest Henry Hunt that they started slashing indiscriminately at people. The first person who was killed was a two-year-old who was thrown from his mother's arms as the cavalry just knocked her down. And yeah, and missiles like bricks started flying eventually. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people were injured. Hundreds of people were injured. And when you hear like uh, 18 dead and 400 injured, you kind of automatically minimize the injury a bit in your head. But I mean, a, a, a 
saber injury. This is a lot of people who would have been permanently fucked yeah. up. Um, These are people who are now unable to work. Yeah, exactly so. Exactly so. That It's an interesting one in English history, actually. And I might go down this for a rabbit hole because there are so many interesting characters. There are a lot of real twats. Oh, and I should mention, actually, these um, the yeomanry and similar regiments were the kind of thing we were talking about in Jingo, where the, the sort of government allowed, pe- yeah, allowed these regiments to come up in times of emergencies. And in this time, it was because people didn't want the fucking government. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that was enough for military law. Good, fun, very nice. William Hunton, Hulton, sorry, another absolute twat. Uh, he was the head of the magistrates who ordered the charge. And yeah, but we've got events like this all through history. There's there's a whole Wikipedia page called List of Food Riots, for instance. Um, And a lot of those, and you know, that's not me looking for protests that turned into riots because the police were twats, but a lot of them are. Yeah. And well, it's the point that Vimes makes. Um, Tilden says the riot was over the price of bread, I understand. And Vimes' inner voice, no, the protest was over the Mm. price of bread. The riot was what happened when you have panicking people trapped between idiots on horseback and other idiots shouting, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like sending the cavalry into a protest is a bad idea. I can't imagine when it would be a good idea. I think I sent you probably a rant after the last horrible stadium crush where a couple hundred people died the other month. Yeah. And just the... The list of the most fatal incidents like that were almost all. This crowd was slightly rowdy because this after the other and some absolute pricks came in and fired tear gas and hundreds of people died. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's awful just seeing it again and again. And I can see very much here, um, we'll go on to what you want to talk about because you can find so many examples of this and so many examples of everything being so god-awfully handled that I can see Pratchett just going, do you know what? This is how I would do it. This yeah. is how I would do it. I'm going to fucking fanfic this. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm going to fanfic history. I'm going to headcanon. I'm like, projecting myself into Vimes, into Keel for a bit, and I'm just going to fucking sort this briefly. Yeah. And then we'll go back to more realistic term events. Fine. And Vimes um, does some extraordinary things. He does. He really does. It's really fascinating. One thing I noticed, actually, um, when you were talking about the Peterloo massacre, Mm -hmm. is you pointing out that people were asked not to bring weapons. Mm -hmm. And one of the things early in this section talks about uh, where everything has gone wrong under Winder and everything has gone gone wrong with Swing as a Mm -hmm. captain. Swing brought in the weapons law. And this idea being that citizens weren't allowed to carry weapons, so citizens should hand their weapons in. And law-abiding citizens did. And citizens that already didn't care about the law obviously fucking didn't. Mm. That's an interesting one, because that's an anti-gun control argument. Yeah, very much so. Um, And I I don't agree with it, but I agree with the way Vimes is making the point here, which is that then people started carrying their own weapons again, and then obviously it was only the people who didn't really, who wanted to obey the law, who found themselves arrested. Yeah. And the line he says, the city had plenty of laws, it just didn't offer many opportunities not to break them. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, this is this incredible look at that's the beginning of the pressure pot that's now coming to the lid flying off and knocking a chunk out of your ceiling and is why I won't have a pressure cooker. I'm kind of scared of them. I got my electric one. 
which is as far as oh, I yeah, can the tell, very safe, but it makes yeah. the odd, it makes the odd noise that does make me kind of leave the room till it's finished towards whatever it's doing. <laughs> That's like, fair. I'm pretty sure you're fine, but I'm just gonna just gonna go next door. <laughs> but what's great about having Vimes being, as you said, kind of Cherry Pratchett's avatar for fuck it, I'm going to sort avatar, this out. Thank you. Yeah is that he obviously wasn't like this. We have seen this growth from guards, guards. Yeah. And I keep coming back to one point you made when we talked about guards, guards, that I don't think I'd, I'd noticed, which was Vimes being okay with police brutality. Mm-hmm. He sends Kara in to beat up a bunch of guys who haven't really done anything other than their jobs. Mm. And obviously here he's grown and he's thoughtful, but because he's had to, yeah. because... The Vimes who's opting to do that in Guards Guards, the reason I had the book handy is I was looking for a uh, kind of talk about the old Nightwatch and I won't read a bunch of it out because it's very depressing, but one of the things Vimes is thinking about is, God, there's only three of us. There used to be hundreds. Yeah. And obviously... So it's grown and shrunk again. Yeah. I know Pratchett didn't have this book we're yeah. talking about now in mind when he wrote Guards Guards, but at the same time you can imagine that this is what Vimes was thinking of. Yeah. <sighs> I think with the the him being better, and we'll talk in a bit about how there's still some issues, but um, yeah, I think a big part of it as well is even in Guards Guards where he was a cap- captain, captain of the Night Watch at that point. I, I believe say. so. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't punching down. No, by the time he's commander of the watch, anyone he uses his, oh, I'm going to hit you with a chair instead of diplomacy my way through this is him a person of power hitting down yeah even if he went and punched mayonnaise quirk um that would be yeah it would be the yeah the duke the commander of the watch the most powerful man in angle walk second event nari yeah and i think pratchett probably realized that as he gave him promotions and i think that that was very correct because you can't you can't have somebody become that powerful and remain likable if he keeps his like hilariously violent tendencies, I think. And, yeah, he, get, and he, he lets it out elsewhere against supernatural things and against uh, proper, proper criminals like Carter. And even then he doesn't he doesn't want to hurt an unarmed man. Yeah, no, he's very essentially trying to do everything with Carter by the book, but in his way, not in a carroty way. Mm-hmm. Carroty. <laughs> I also quite like the contrast between, and he says it in this book, but in a different way. But I think it was either in Guards, Guards, or Men at Arms, uh, something like everyone's guilty of something. And yes. it's kind of said in a joke way, like, we can get them on whatever, we'll find something. And I didn't like that. But here it is, everyone is guilty of something. And also, that's because there's no way not to break the laws. Like, yeah. it's entirely the establishment's fault that everyone's guilty of something. Yeah. And it talks about the fact that Swing has no interest in rehabilitation or making things better. It's yeah. just about making as many things as illegal as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, to talk about, like, the big moment of this section that hmm. we kind of danced around, but the the not so much the Dolly Sisters riot itself, which, like again, that page is just a very tough read when he's talking about a child's hand slipping out of his mother's as the horses hmm. come in. That hurts to read. Mm-hmm. But obviously he prevented the events that happened at Morphic Street, which obviously turned into similar actions. And all that's happened is it's moved to a different place. He's worried he's completely untethered history, but history is going to history because people are going to people. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that's how Lutze would put it. (laughs) Yeah. But what this turns into, because we don't see the riots itself, instead we see the aftermath of the riot. And what they're told is that 
watch houses are going to be attacked now. There's rampaging mobs on the streets. And what you need to do is be mi- it's a euphemism. Be mindful of the curfew. Double down. The orders from above are saying there's a threat of revolutionaries now. Yeah. Uh, mindful of the curfew means if we get people coming to complain about unarmed citizens being attacked by soldiers, we have to arrest those people. Mm-hmm. And what he does instead is open everything up. He tries to create total transparency. Mm-hmm. And it's impressive because you see all these cogwheels going. He's trying to capture the unmentionables that are going to come for the one they've got in the prison. Hence yes. putting the trap in the yeah. um, loo and another trap somewhere else. Um, uh, the upended door full of nails, which admittedly is a bit harsh, but I feel like we can accept that for the unmentionables. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, there's two very different threats to deal with in two very different ways at the same time. Yeah. Which is and, quite the multitasker, considering you and I today were like, oh, I cannot cope with life and also podcast. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok. No. Um, <laughs> so his instructions for Colon and Waddy to go and be two guys who stand outside the door and he instructs mm-hmm. them that under no circumstances draw your swords. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he wants people to look at them and see Fred Colon, my old mate, Waddy drinks down the pub. Mm-hmm. Um, put all the lights on, show your face, put your weapons away. If they just see a couple of men in uniform with swords, you'll be in trouble. And if you draw those swords tonight without my order and survive, you'll wish you hadn't done either because you'll have to face me. Yes. And yeah, he opens the door. It's a closed door is an incitement to bravery. A man drinking from a mug under a light and apparently enjoying the cool night air is an incitement to pause. Sort of slightly, slightly similar to Carcer's, uh, what, are you going to hit Nanama? man? Yeah. It's the, again, with the anti-Carcer actions. He's, on the side of the coin. Yeah, they both know how to throw someone off their balance, but in mm-hmm. Vimes's case, it's helpful. It's, yeah, and it's considered, I think, in Vimes's case, rather than a weird instinct. And he, when this guy has got this bottle and he's obviously going to try and smash it and come for Vimes, he's encouraging him not to, Mm -hmm. but he's also making very much a point of making sure he has a cigar in one hand and a mug in the other Mm -hmm. and staying still. So when this guy injures himself, which Vimes was expecting, like, yes, he could have tried to take the bottle off the man and stop the injury, but the man still could have gotten injured and it would have looked like his And now it's the policeman, yeah, absolutely. And he pauses for a couple of seconds before going to help so that the tableau is in everybody's mind. He knows how people's memories work. Yeah, there was even still ash on his cigar. Mm -hmm. And then when Lorne comes to help the guy, he makes sure that people from the street come in and Mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. He's not taken behind closed doors because he's so aware that that's what Cable Street are doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's It it made me think of, well, actually speaking of pressure cookers, it made me think of a, re- a release of pressure, or more specifically, kind of the right way to deal with a deluge or a flood, mm-hmm. which is not to board up your doors and hope that the house or the building can stand against the ocean, because of course it can't. You open no. the windows in the bottom floor, you open the doors in the bottom floor, and you allow it to flood through. Yes, very much so. And there the metaphor ends because I don't think I can turn any of these people into fish. Oh, no, we had this conversation a bit earlier <laughs> the, and I pointed out that he swept away. The of revolution. Sorry. <laughs> Vimes is swept away on the current of a slightly alternative history. That's it. Well done. Thank you. Phew. Thank goodness I've got you here to extend my metaphors. <laughs> That's the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so you have this progress. You have this incredibly open and honest policing. But... It's still not, and I'm I am purely talking about policing in the Discworld context here because I think if I try and compare this to one policing in, say, the UK, we're all going to get very sad and angry, aren't we? Yeah. 
But you do then have Vimes doing dodgy stuff. He doesn't take young Sam down to the cellars mm-hmm. for his version of the ginger beer trick mm-hmm. because I think it's described in the book as it's not illegal, but it's the same shade and colour and smells illegal. Yeah. And this to me is very much using the power of being an insider to do bad things because you know you know what's on the wrong side of that law. And these days, would in modern times, it would absolutely be illegal because that is a coerced confession. Yes, very much so. Uh, and obviously they don't do whatever Carter is talking about as the ginger beer trick. They just make Ferret think something horrible is happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, I looked into it, by the way. Yeah, um, there was a reference to it in Annotated Pratchett. Oh, okay, cool. You got it? Uh, not directly in front of okay. me, if you've got it. Uh, to, to save debate running wild, I've heard this attributed to Mexican police as a cheap way of getting a suspect to talk and which happily does not leave a mark. The carbonated beverage of choice was Coca-Cola. Hint, expanding bubbles and the sensitivity of the sinuses. Both Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch confirmed that this kind of torture is regularly reported as being used by the Mexican police. Lovely. Well done, Mexican police. Um, but yeah, it's it's all very mm, in, in, implicit. It's all... Yeah, nothing is yeah. directly described but it is something of a psychological torture for Ferret. And there's obviously, as you said, it's a coerced confession. Yeah. And you can't feel that bad for Ferret on the on account of the fact he is a torturer. Or at least torturer adjacent. Yes. But obviously it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to be entirely on board. There's a sense of relief in going back to the other room and seeing that the corks are all still firmly wired down on the bottles mm. of ginger beer. Like, you know that that's not really the sort of thing that Vimes would do. You know, he wouldn't actually do something as horrific as whatever yeah. the ginger beer trick is. But for half a page, it really looks like he's telling you he did. Yeah. And it's horribly tense. And you kind of need that moment of relief before you go, oh, no, what he did was still really fucking horrible, though, wasn't it? Mm. But then you also have the revelation from the ginger beer moment that um, the inventioners have been told to mix in with mobs and throw things at coppers. Yeah. They're effectively there to incite and make things worse. Which, again, is something that has happened in real life. Yep. Very much so. But is spotted quite easily by someone like Vimes, but probably not by any other. Colon. uh, (laughs) Well, maybe even by Colon, although I'm sure... Just that he'd be able to go, eh. but I think a lot of the people on top are being willfully blind because they want things to be bad enough to bring in the next set of laws. Yeah, I mean, I mean going back so. to Italy, there were some incredibly um, totalitarian laws brought in the Six Acts, I think it was called, in the wake of Peterloo, um, despite the fact that it was entirely the authorities who made the problem. Yeah. If you look at the anti-protest laws that are trying to be brought in in the UK at the moment that are so bad, Amnesty International is campaigning against them. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... uh, uh... Sorry, that's <laughs> really depressing. But a conclusion no, as far yeah, as... I, um, I, my brain is ticking over whether I'm going to start a rant on that and I'm not right now. Not right now. Maybe next week. Maybe. Yeah, we've still got like half the books. I feel despair over that, to be honest, and I'm not sure that's the vibe I want to end on. No, I don't want to end on despair. I mean, this is, let's go back to talking about how good the book is, because Mm. really that's the main talking point for all of these. Yeah. I don't agree with all of Vime's actions, but I think it's an incredibly good read. And the way the tension is built in the Vime scene where he is sat down with his mug of cocoa and his cigar 
but underneath that you feel the tension building up in the city as a whole that is an incredible piece of writing yeah 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 and to go from that to him being interviewed by lady meserol and obviously pratchett did not prescribe where we've ended these various sections no but it is again a very it's not an end to the tension it's not a release of the tension but it's a it's an odd pause to the tension that makes you go oh okay okay let's focus on this for a sec i guess yeah okay uh (laughs) and it adds another layer to the tension the fact that everything that settles who the next leader will be is happening with glasses of champagne with lady meserol entertaining dr follett Mm. it is not happening the the riots the revolution this is a distraction from the real change of power yeah 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 and that's very sad (laughs) because history has to be of every vimes can't change the past that's the point he needs to leave a vime shaped hole to go back to yeah but he's he's not really trying to stop himself much no the book what the book is doing is him wrestling with do i do the job that's in front of me to go home or do i do the job that's in front of me and try and make things better but maybe erase my entire future existence in the process yeah and to carry that alongside that the inevitability of if you as a reader i feel like you kind of know that vimes is going to be all right because otherwise what would the point of this book be like pratchett is not one to do a big depressing ending yeah sad endings yes but not depressing yeah no it would be very odd but the it's a good book to the point where you don't really think about that as you're reading you're genuinely frightened for him and you're frightened and you're really caught up in these riots Mm -hmm. and in this revolution and in this feeling of change even though you know the future is a foregone conclusion that's what's Mm -hmm. so incredible about this book yeah yeah and with and, that, Francine. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I have an obscure reference for Neil, except it's not very obscure. It's really an excuse to talk about things I want to talk about. Uh, cool. <laughs> but briefly, I promise. When Downey chucks Bernari's book into the fire, the tiger burned brightly. And of course, a little a little nod towards William Blake's The Tiger with a Y. Yes. Which goes... Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? <laughs> Thank you, William Blake. The best worst start to a poem. Um, <laughs> yes, I know the vowel shifts, whatever, whatever. But the point is, I like the whole thing about camouflage and clearly Pratchett does as well because it's a little running theme that doesn't have that much to do with things. I mean, it's, it's woven in throughout, but it's a mm-hmm. lovely little addition rather than a a plot mainstay. Bernari's very into camouflage. I like the fact that Sam Vimes knows how to stare into shadows and he sees there's a deeper shadow because someone's wearing black and people think that black's a good camouflage, but it isn't. And that's true. Bernari is practicing a far more sophisticated form of camouflage, which is to wear colours that would appear in nature. Yeah, um, dark greens and greys. Yeah, dark greens, greys, all of that. If you wear black in the night, then you will blend in with things that are black. The night is not black, is my point here. So that set me off reading about camouflage in general, and that's quite a fun subject. Uh, Disruptive coloration is the name for it with the stripes, like your tiger. Um, Mm -hmm. So it basically works by breaking up the outlines of whatever it is. Uh, So so like military gears, or like stripes and camo and all of that stuff. And it's, it's just to get rid of that silhouette. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously it's found everywhere in nature. And it sometimes looks quite unlikely. So you get some like some fishes that have eye masks on, like yeah. and sometimes quite bright splotches. And you'd think, oh well that makes it easy to spot. But no, not really, because you do get random blotches of stuff in places and having one distinctly fish-shaped block of any one colour is going to be way more noticeable. And anyway, I'm going to link to a couple of fun articles about camouflage uh, because it's fun to me. And I like the fact that the whole field is all crypsis because I didn't know that. I mean, specifically the tiger thing, the orange and black in a green forest, uh, because I read it in this book, it has since become my, yeah, no, that's camouflage and I'll die on this hill as a running joke with our mutual friend. Yeah. Who hates (laughs) the idea of a tiger being camouflaged. Well, well, apparently, apparently I'll be the well actually person for a minute, but apparently it's because the ungulates and things that it hunts are generally red-green colourblind. So So this is a variety of browns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that explains why they're orange orange i'm not sure how many orange orange things there are maybe it's just because that particular um desaturated tone blends in very well with the green mm. i know you add a bit of red to green to make it look more natural i think i'm straying into a different area of color theory here though you are uh, to bring us quickly back to tigers though um of course, i'm sorry joanna if... i didn't mean to stray too far from tigers Please never stray too far. No, you just, I was reminded of my personal favourite poem about a tiger. Oh, good. I'm glad we've all got one. (laughs) That I've seen on Twitter many times. And this is The Tiger by Nail, age six. The tiger, he destroyed his cage. Yes, yes, the tiger is out. Genuinely fucking genius, to be honest. Right. (laughs) Yes, yes. I will never write anything that good in my fucking life. Anyway, uh, listeners, send us your best tiger poems and we might talk about them on the podcast next week for section three of Nightwatch, which three or four. starts on page 257 and the corgi paperback with Vime slept in a corner standing up and ends... Oh, fuck, I marked two potential places where it was going to end, so I'm going to make that decision mystery. now. No, I'm going to Live decide. admin! Ends on page 356. Uh, we don't have to make a big fuss be- about being the best, sir. We just know. Unless I decide flag. to change the ending. But imagine a flag. I know this book so fucking well. Right. I've been wondering throughout whether it's probably a combination of both, but whether I see every scene so clearly because it's quite so well described or whether it's because I've read this book so many fucking times that I've had time so- to ruminate. <laughs> Bit of column A, bit of column B. Yeah. Anyway, until next week in the tiny flag, send us your favourite tiger poems by communicating with us on Instagram at the True Shall Make Ye Fret, on Twitter at Make Ye Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make Ye Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. Be careful about explaining quantum physics and the rules. It's all right if I find the comment. <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed. Hurts me. Uh, email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, tiger poems, whatever else you fancy. Flying fruit, the true shall make you fretpod at gmail.com. And if you would like to support us financially, go to patreon.com forward slash the true shall make you fret and exchange your hard earned pennies for all sorts of bonus nonsense. Including by the time this is released, I promise I'll have edited your rabbit hole on Puss in Boots. Oh, I forgot I recorded that yeah, the no, moment it wasn't. Yeah, it'll yet. be out soon. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very busy week. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> Until next time, dear listener, don't let 
Meditate New. How does one wizard wipe her, do you think? Carefully. <laughs> <laughs>